All right. So the first part of fasting. Normally, I like to do a sermon recap, but I have quite a bit I want to go through today. So I don't really have time to go through a recap. But I want to encourage you guys, if you haven't caught the first part, just to listen to it on your way home or sometime this week. It's about 40 minutes. It's on our podcast. I normally don't advertise my sermons, but I just feel like uh, what I did last time just built a lot of foundation for which I'm going to build upon today. And we're just going to go a little bit deeper today. But uh, don't worry, you didn't really miss out. I'm going to say some things today that uh, you'll understand, and you don't necessarily have to have heard the first part, but I think it will be helpful. So, Today, I want to continue our discussion by talking about the importance of heart posture throughout the fast and practicing being led by the Spirit. One of the things I feel like that's happened in the Western church is uh, we have just resorted to a Christianity of following a bunch of rules. And so what happens when you do that, you're still under a tutor and you're essentially staying an infant perpetually you don't have the opportunity to actually grow and mature spiritually because part of spiritual growth, I think a huge part, is learning how to be led by the Spirit. And being, learning how to be led by the Spirit is actually giving up our, uh, our rule following a little bit, okay, and, and learning to have a relationship where we could actually hear His voice and do what He's saying and doing, doing what He's doing. Does that make sense? So why don't you guys turn with me to Isaiah 58. We're just going to jump right in. I hope you guys are ready. We'll have it up here on the screen as well. But starting verse 3, it says, um, and this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. It says, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? I'm going to pause right here. So here you can see that they had a transactional mindset. The Israelites in the Old Testament had a transactional mindset because that was, they were under the Old Covenant. And under the Old Covenant, that's all they had to do is, is pretty much perform according to the law in order to be righteous. So their mentality was this, if we fast and if we afflict our bodies, then you will hear us. And so that old covenant mentality was this. We fast to be right with God and to move God on our behalf. And we've kind of adopted this mentality, this mindset in modern Christianity that somehow if we punish ourselves, God will see how serious we are and how sorry we are and then bless us. I mean, if I say that out loud, it sounds ridiculous. But honestly, by our actions, it, it, it kind of reveals what we actually believe inside. And here's a side note. I'm not going to preach this out because it could be a whole other sermon, but I do want to touch upon this. Our actual flesh is not bad. Our physical flesh isn't bad. You know, if it was bad, then no one here would take a shower, right? You wouldn't take care of your body at all. I'm not saying do that. Our, our actual flesh isn't bad. When the Bible talks about the flesh, it's talking about our sinful nature. And so the putting off of the flesh is not a constant battle against your sinful nature. Jesus actually won that battle on the cross. 
Our battle is actually believing and realizing that our sinful nature has actually been finally taken care of. And so we are not at a constant war with our flesh. The battle is actually in our minds. The battle happens because we're trying to renew our minds to the truth. And fasting actually helps actualize that and realize that truth. Continuing on, in Isaiah, it says, In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do, th- as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an, an acceptable day to the Lord? So what's been showing, what the scripture is showing here is that there's a pattern we see throughout the Bible. You see the Israelites in the Old Testament, even in the Pharisees in, in the Gospels, they were more focused on the outward appearance of righteousness and the external works versus having the heart of God. It continues on, verse six. Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who who are cast out? when you see the naked, that you cover him and not from your own flesh. Instead, what God is trying to show here is that their hearts are way more important than the act of fasting itself. What is the point of fasting if you enter into a fast and it has no effect on your heart? What God is pointing out in the scripture is that he didn't really care about the religious works that we do if it has no bearing on our hearts. You see this as a theme throughout the whole Bible. Even David was so aware of this. In Psalm 51, that's what he said. He knew it's not sacrifice that you want, God. You don't want our sacrifice. You want a broken and a contrite heart. I mean, what kind of revelation was it that David was a man after God's own heart? This isn't what the law taught. The law taught you perform according to the law. If you do, you're blessed. If you don't, you're cursed. End of story. Didn't really have any stipulation as to your heart position. So you could be like the Israelites that, you know, Prophet Isaiah is, is talking about. Yeah, you're fasting. You think because of your fast, God's gonna hear you and see you but your heart position is totally wrong. You don't even have the heart of God. You're oppressing people. You're not loving people at all. And you think your fast is gonna move me? No, not at all. So speaking of heart posture, I actually want to address some misconceptions about the Daniel fast. And You'll see why I'm going to talk about this, but I also just want to bring clarity to the Daniel fast. So why don't you guys turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. I think we'll have it on the screen as well. Okay, verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank, 
Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. And at at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. I'm going to just, spoiler alert, just tell you right now, I personally don't believe that the Daniel fast is technically a fast. I actually don't have a problem if people believe it's a fast. Uh, Again, to me, it's not about the technicalities of a fast. It's more about your heart position. But if you want to... Uh, you know, value the integrity of scripture and value the author's original intent, I don't know if Daniel came into this thinking, oh, I'm fasting, okay? The whole point of Daniel abstaining from the king's delicacies was not to defile himself. That's what scripture says, point blank. And we've somehow weirdly turned this into a godly purpose to eat healthier, but health wasn't the main issue. If you do a quick Google search, you will see the emphasis of a Daniel fast being a healthy fast. But in my opinion, that was not even the point of a Daniel fast at all. So do you know that that word vegetables in in this scripture, it's not what we think of leafy greens, all our our healthy leafy greens. The the Hebrew word actually, it, it stands for pulse. I had to look at what pulse is, but pulse, basically what pulse is, is pulse are legumes. So legumes such as dry peas, chickpeas, beans, and lentils. So if you want to actually stay true to a Daniel fast, it's not about your leafy greens and what, you, what culture today deems as healthy. You should be eating beans, chickpeas, lentils, okay? <laughs> And here's the other thing. Notice that their appearance was fatter. Okay? (laughs) So when reading and interpreting scripture, we have to be very careful not to read into scripture our current cultural context. If you want to be true to the scripture, okay? The point is, is that Daniel didn't want to defile himself. So meat itself, okay, I, I, I do believe in meat. I have done a carnivore diet. I love, I'm currently on more of an animal-based diet. But meat itself wasn't bad, okay? <laughs> but some animals were unclean to eat, right? So, so Daniel was, he was an Israelite. So under the law, uh, Israelite, under the law, there were certain foods that he wasn't supposed to eat, like pork, right? Um, so maybe that was on the king's menu. I don't know. We, we don't, actually don't know. But I believe Daniel's decision not to eat the king's food 
could have not to, you know, defile himself in accordance with the law, but it also could be for a deeper reason. So if you can imagine this, Daniel, he was an exile in a completely different culture. And he was being groomed and raised to be one of the king's magicians or astrologers. Okay? So I believe he put a stake in the ground and he was saying, you know what? I am a foreigner in a foreign culture. I don't want to lose who I am in the midst of a pagan and anti-God culture. So I feel like it was more like a prophetic act of him putting that stake in the ground and saying, you know what, even though I'm in a completely different environment, and how many of you know, if over time, you start to become the environment that you surround yourself in, right? If you're not really intentional about it, you start to think like your environment. You start to uh, just believe like your environment, to dress like it, to act like it, to speak like it. It even has some parallel implications for us here in LA. Like how many of the stuff that we think and believe is just because of where we live? If you grew up in a small farm out in the Midwest, you probably would have different thoughts, you know, completely different thoughts and behaviors than you do when living in LA. And so even as kingdom believers, this could be a, a real good lesson of like, okay, how do I live here in LA? How can I be in the world but not of it? How can I not have my senses desensitized to kingdom reality and just worldly reality? I believe this is what Daniel did. He, he, he put a stake in the ground. He says, you know what? I'm here, and I'm inundated by this pagan culture. If I'm not careful, I could start to think like them. I could start to lose my identity, lose myself, lose my culture, lose my, my convictions. And it starts, compromise always starts with a little bit, right? And slowly more and more, you compromise more and more, deception comes in. The nature of deception is that you do not know that you are deceived. So, I believe the simple decision, he just didn't want to be tempted by the king's delicacies or other temptations that this culture can bring. And I believe this simple decision right from the beginning and this heart posture allowed Daniel and his buddies uh, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego. I don't know also, side note, <laughs> I don't know why we, you know, re refer to Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego by their Babylonian names. <laughs> but Daniel by his Hebrew name is just interesting to me. Um, but I, I believe it allowed them to have the determination and strength to rebel against the king's orders to forsake God, even if it, even if it cost them their life. So, when those opportunities came where uh, the king decreed, hey, you're going to bow down to my idols and you can't worship your God, it wasn't in that moment where, you know, they had to wrestle with that because they already set from the beginning their heart posture. I'm, I'm going to, this is my core value. This is my conviction. I, this is my God. I'm not going to bow down to any other God. It doesn't matter if I'm in a different world. So, if you're doing a Daniel fast, 
Just remember, the focus is not that it is a healthy fast. <laughs> but instead, if you do it, look, again, I don't have a problem. If you attach your faith to this, you're doing this out of relationship with God, awesome. Eat your leafy greens. I, I, it, I really don't have a problem with it. But maybe while you do it, have that same heart position as, as Daniel. I'm going to set my heart. I'm going to set myself apart to God. God, I, w- I want to be inundated by your reality, your truth. I don't want to be molded by my environment. Okay? You see, the enemy and the religious spirit is happy to keep you busy doing righteous, holy-looking things, but twist it just enough that it strips its power and its meaning. And so by emphasizing, it, it seems pretty innocent, but emphasizing the healthy portion, the, the health portion, or even just the mechanics of a Daniel fast, eating vegetables only. Okay. <laughs> Having some mic issues, sorry. <laughs> Let me say. Oh, I need lessons in mic holding, apparently. <laughs> So by emphasizing the health portion or even just the mechanics of a Daniel fast, the eating vegetables only, it diverts your attention and your focus just ever so slightly, but enough to strip the power and the meaning away. So we see this continued theme throughout the Bible where God is trying to transition us from the works of the law to being led by the Spirit. And when Jesus comes onto scene, this is one of his his main assignments. That's one of the things that he's transitioning his disciples to do. It's like, all you knew, all you ever knew was a covenant being under the law. But now I'm here. I'm the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Now you're gonna follow me. You were once under a tutor, Right? That told you everything that you need to do and what not to do. But you know what a higher standard is? A higher standard of righteousness is you knowing my heart, you having relationship with, with me, and you following me. Let's turn to Luke chapter 5. Verse 33. It says, then they said to him, Jesus. <laughs> Are you sure that's the problem? Um, then they said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? So again, we see this common theme. The Pharisees are concerned with the rituals and the external appearance and the external works. Okay, that's all they know. So imagine being Jesus' disciples who were brought up under the law. They are supposedly with the long-awaited Messiah. They waited so long for the promised Messiah, right? And the Messiah, Jesus, he didn't come in the package that they were expecting, he didn't come as, you know, the, the conquering warrior that's going to just subdue kingdoms and restore the kingdom of Israel. He came as a bondservant. He came so low as a servant. And you wouldn't recognize him if you don't have eyes to see. 
In fact, Jesus sort of looked like a blasphemer in that time. Think about it. All you know is the old covenant. He, it seems like he doesn't even have respect or honor for the Sabbath. Imagine how offensive that might look. So imagine the fear of man that these disciples must have dealt with. And now the disciples of the very Messiah who were unqualified men. They were, they were not like the elite Pharisees. They were fishermen, right? Just odd sorts, okay? They weren't the elite. They weren't the, the most knowledgeable of scriptures. They were the most unlikely of men. And so now they're not even fasting. All the other disciples, the Pharisees, they're, they're fasting. But the, the disciples of, of the very Messiah, we're not even fasting? What is this? We already feel unqualified. Like, what are we doing? Are you really the Messiah? Following Jesus at that, at that time must have been very difficult, and it must have looked a little bit rebellious. Honestly, that's how I see it. But there was something, right? There was something about Jesus that, that drew them in. Even though this is uncharted territory, it, it even looked blasphemous. It even looked like oh my gosh, like, can this be true? All the physical evidence kind of just doesn't seem like it's pointing towards that, but we know there's something about Jesus. There's something about him. And we, we feel and know that what he is saying is true. We've seen too much. Verse 34, and he said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one, otherwise the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined." but new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires the new, for he says the old is better. This is my summary interpretation of those last couple verses about the, the new wineskin and the old wineskin. It's as if Jesus was saying, hey, I can't teach them about the right way of fasting when they are stuck in their old legalistic mindset. I need to first get them completely out of their old performance mindset to teach them a new and living way. It's better that they hold off on fasting until I could change their whole wineskin. Otherwise, it will make things worse. Afterwards, when they go back to fasting, they will understand and do it rightly. It's really hard to learn the concept of grace if you're mixing it with the law. In order to understand grace, you have to have at least a season of removing yourself out of works. Okay. So the, the very next verse, we see something interesting. Luke chapter 6, verse 1. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields. And his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their, their hands. 
And some of the Pharisees said to them, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? This is so intentional, okay? Jesus is not, he's not doing this by accident. He's very intentional how he's leading his disciples. Look, he just talked to the Pharisees about the you know, new wineskin, right? And so he's ushering them into this new covenant. And um, now Jesus' disciples are plucking heads of grain and eating them on the Sabbath, which you were not supposed to do on the Sabbath. They for sure know, the disciples for sure know that this isn't allowed according to their custom, okay? And I imagine the disciples, again, having to work through this in their heart, like, is this okay? They probably were feeling a little bit rebellious, but I also kind of imagine myself like being one of the disciples in the grain fields, plucking these things out, and maybe tasting a little bit of freedom for the first time. Like, what is this new thing? Like, I feel, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but what is this thing I'm feeling? This freedom I'm feeling. So Jesus was intentional to break them from a legalistic works mindset to one of learning to hear from him and to follow him. That was the, the mo more utmost priority, following Jesus. I want to jump to one scripture real quick, quickly in Hebrews 1. I don't have, a, have it on the screen, but Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Okay, so even when Jesus gets transfigured, right, on the mountain, who was there? Moses and Elijah, right? Moses was a representation of the law. Elijah was a representation of the prophets. But what did Jesus say? He said, now I want you to hear him. I want you to hear Jesus. So it was almost like a prophetic sign and a prophetic shift where he says, look, once you listened to the law and the prophets under the old covenant, but now I'm shifting you into a place where now you're going to learn to hear him, hear Jesus. Okay? So that's what Hebrews 1 is talking about. So this is a new and living way where the, in the new covenant, the emphasis is learning to be led by the Spirit. That's so important. And I, I think in, in modern Christianity, that's what the religious spirit does. It tries to keep us stuck in the old covenant. And so our Christianity has been about just performing, rule following, being a better person, being a better Christian. And that doesn't have much bearing on our heart. What will transform our heart and have bearing on our heart if we learn to have a love relationship with Jesus? We get to learn his heart. We get to gain his, his sight, his perspective. We, we train our ears to hear him. And we train ourselves to, to follow him. And I'm not saying we're going to do it perfectly, but at some point in time, you're going to have to try. You're going to have to make space in your, your, your walk with God, uh, aside from just going to church on Sundays, in your daily life, learning to hear his voice and taking steps. I think God said this, I'm not sure, but I'm gonna try and obey. And, you, and by doing that, it's not a, a matter if you're right or wrong, you're learning his voice. Oh, you know what, I missed it right here. Or, wow, I was actually right on. 
sometimes his voice will be booming. Sometimes you'll know that you know that you know that God said to do something. But in my experience, oftentimes, it's not like that. <laughs> but I think it's in his kindness that he does that. Because if it was always a booming voice, you're just going to rule follow again. If, if he tells you to do something, it's a booming voice, you're going to do it. He's God. But he loves us so much that he doesn't just want, it, want us to just blindly follow him. He's a good father. He wants to instill his heart in us, right? He wants to, as a good father, he wants to raise us up with his culture in us so that when, when we make decisions, we'll be making decisions out of his heart. So when I embarked on this fasting journey and the Lord was teaching me about why we fast and actually how to fast, I suddenly had an urge and desire to do a 40-day fast. Wow. Look, if you heard my last sermon, you'll know at one point in time I was anti-fasting, okay? I, I said, no, I don't fast, I feast. <laughs> We're in the new covenant, I don't strive. I'm not begging God for anything. I feast. I feast on his goodness. And there is a time and a place for feasting. There's absolutely a time and a place to do that. But there's also fasting as well. And so this, I knew this was God because, I, I mean, who in their right mind would wake up one day and go, man, I really want to do a 40-day fast. That sounds like torture. So this was a God thing. And if you ever embarked on a long-term water fast, you will learn a lot about fasting and your physical body. I learned things I never knew about. And sometimes you just got to do something and learn lessons along the way. It's part of a relationship with God. So when I was fasting, I was just doing water only. My goal was 40 days. And after around week one, I started tasting metal on my tongue. How many of you guys have done like long-term water fast? You start feeling like metallic taste on your tongue. And um, this is going to be maybe too much information, but I'm going to just say it anyway. Would, like, it was kind of gross. I, I started to have like uh, toxins coming out of my pores. And like I would wake up and it, my pillow, my blankets, they smell like toxins. I was like, oh my God, this is so gross. And, um, you know, there's a lot of spiritual parallels that you could draw here. Oftentimes, the physical will, will mirror a spiritual reality. So, I mean, yes, when you're fasting, your body goes through a detox. Maybe in the spirit, you're going through a spiritual detox as well, right? So, I, I also started not needing as much sleep and was feeling super energized. And so, I would start waking around, up around 4 a.m. in the morning. And just buzzing with energy. <laughs> like, I never was a morning person either. I'm like, how am I awake at this hour, this ungodly hour? And uh, I am just like buzzing. I can't go back to sleep. And so um, what I, I believe happens is that, um, look, I'm not a scientist, but this is just my understanding, my layman's understanding. You could go fact check me and verify it on your own. So take it with a grain of salt. But... What I believe that happens is that your body uses a lot of energy to digest food, right? But when you don't have food to digest, your body has excess energy. So your body then uh, uses that excess energy to go into a deep cleansing mode, hence the detoxing, okay? 
That's my layman's understanding. Um, and, and the body actually has a fascinating way of healing itself. And I can't verify this, but some believe that doing an extended water fast can help with various chronic illnesses. And so, again, I'm not a doctor. This isn't medical advice, but um, it's something that I've heard uh, here and there. And fasting is also believed to have anti-aging effects. So there are health, physical health benefits to it, which I'm sure, again, you could draw spiritual parallels to. But around week two, I started feeling nauseous and weak. I, there's this one time I remember, I uh, got out of bed and I got up too quickly. I don't want to scare you, but <laughs> I got up too quickly and I, I blacked out and I fainted on the ground. <laughs> so if you're doing a long-term water fast, rise out of bed a little gently. <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> Take your time. Um, and so, I, I, around week two, I started feeling nauseous and weak. And, um, and around week three and week four, I, I, I felt like there's like different stages to this fast. Every, every week I was going through something new and learning something different, uh, which was not fun. Uh, around week three or four, <laughs> I started, okay, TMI again, but I'm just gonna be really with you guys. I, uh, I started to throw up bile every day. And uh, yeah, TMI, um, it's real. And I, I felt like I was a zombie, and the only thing I could do was just sit on my couch and literally count, count the, the seconds by, and, and like I'm just trying to push through to reach that 40 days. I didn't even have any motivation or energy. The last thing I wanted to do was spend time with God. Last thing I wanted to do, I was so miserable. <laughs> so um, that should have been a red flag to me, right? Uh, but... Uh, I think I'm the kind of guy, I have the type of personality that I'm like really determined. So if I have my heart set on something, I will go to the extreme, like I will do it. Um, I'm, I'm just that kind of guy. And so I, I decided to quit on uh, day 31. Couldn't, I couldn't hit 40. And um, I believe I hit a point where they call it true hunger, where you're actually at the point of, point of starvation. Um, and so I was not at a healthy place. And so, uh, <laughs> side note, if you do a long-term water fast, make sure you don't like just binge and go crazy your first meal out of a long-term water fast because honestly, you will cause problems for yourself. Like, like it could be very serious health problems. Um, so you want to break your fast slowly. So I'm not gonna teach on that, but you can research on how to do that. But one thing you notice after a long-term water fast is that your taste is brand spanking new. That tripped me out. Like, I couldn't even drink orange juice. I, I even diluted it with water and just took a little sip and it just threw my taste buds back. I was like, whoa, that's so strong. Even the, like, if you season your food with salt or pepper, it's just overpowering. So it, it just seems like everything was reset. Like, I, I was like a fresh baby, you know? <laughs> everything was brand new. My taste buds are brand new. It's not defiled by the world. I actually, you know, you can draw so many spiritual parallels if you wanted to, right? I'm not going to go into that, but use your imagination. And so, um, but here's the thing. Surprisingly, I thought, before I entered this 40-day, or 
31-day fast. I thought at the end of it, I would be like this, just like jacked up in the spirit, like glowing, right? Like just a force of power and love completely transformed, moving mountains, you know, just at the pinnacle of my faith. And uh, honestly, I, I didn't feel any different. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of uh, disappointing. So if you fast with a transactional purpose, you might be disappointed. After the fast, I, I told myself I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> Until about a year later, I decided to try again. <laughs> I don't know why. I just had that urge again. And long story short, the same thing happened. I quit at 30 days this time. One day shy of my 31 <laughs> days the, the prior time. And this time, I, I really changed some things. I, I really focused on tapping into a flow of grace, a supernatural empowerment that would enable me to live off of no food for an extended period of time. And that happens. I fully believe it. I, I know people have done it. And I, I asked the pastor who, who did very long fast and has tapped into this grace why I couldn't tap into the same grace that he did. And he told me something interesting. He said, he, he said that it was because I was too religious with my fast. And I was like, what? I, I'm, I'm the furthest thing from religious. And he said, I, I was rightly led into the fast, but I wasn't led through it. And I just was like, oh my gosh, the light bulb went in my head. I was like, oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. I still had some religious and performance mindsets still in me that I was unaware of. And so this is what happened. I made up my own rules, my own law that I relied on and wouldn't break. And I didn't even think to bring God into that. I decided I'm going to do water only for 40 days. It wasn't even a question of like, I never asked God periodically, hey, are we still doing water? <laughs> right? And I thought, hey, if I drink juice or if I eat a snack, then that's cheating. And I'm going to negate my whole fast. That thinking right there should have showed me right away that I'm, I'm in performance mode. Because I'm thinking that by my performance, I could negate all the benefits and effects and the point of me embarking on a fast anyway. <laughs> so what happened was I leaned on and fed off my own law and not grace. I tried to spend time with God both times, but there was no grace. I felt miserable. I, that's the last thing I wanted to do. But what if I tuned into God periodically? What if he told me to eat a snack or drink a juice? It might have like put me in a place where I'm like, is this my flesh talking? It, or is this really God? And I already knew my heart position. I, I'm not trying to make an excuse to eat, okay? Like, but if I had practiced, just shifted a little bit and be, been focused more on not achieving a certain amount of days, but, but practicing like hearing him, being led by him throughout the fast. And he told me, hey, I, I, want, you to, I want you to eat something. I want you to take a juice. What if 
that would have enabled a grace for me where I'm like, oh man, I, I can now even focus spending time with God. So now I'm, it even launched me into a place where I could actually spend time with it. So what's important is your heart posture in the fast more than the number of days. I believe you could fast for one day or three days with a fully engaged heart and the right heart posture, pursuing God and, and pursuing intentional transformation through intimacy with him. And that can mean and do more than someone who fasts 40 days but is doing it out of a place of works. Like I mentioned before, fasting is also a great opportunity to practice being led by the Spirit. If our spiritual maturity is largely defined on us growing in our ability to hear from Him and to follow Him, what a great opportunity. When we're fasting, when we're intentionally trying to uh, suppress our, our, our carnal sight and to embrace heavenly sight, what a great opportunity to try and lean in. It probably would have benefited me more to just tune into him. God, what are we doing today? Water only. Do you want me to eat a snack, drink a juice? We need to exercise this muscle in trying to constantly tune into his voice until it's like breathing air and it's our new normal. So, I'm about to wrap up here. I want to give you guys some instructions, okay? So, we have a, a group fast, a corporate fast, starting tomorrow. And um, if you could put up that slide. The start date is tomorrow. Quick note, join our Facebook community group. We have a fasting thread on there. Uh, people ha are just joining in saying, hey, I'm, I'm doing this fast, I'm doing a three-day fast or a five-day fast, I'm doing water only, I'm doing juice only, whatever it is. Uh, I wanted to create a place where we could uh, constantly just communicate with each other, uh, share with each other what we're learning through this fast, what difficulties you're going through, what, uh, and just your experience. And I'm going to try and put like different prompts or questions or different uh, supporting resources or materials uh, throughout our fast just to keep us engaged. And so I really felt like I wanted to create a moment where we could support each other and like feel like we're doing it as a group, okay? So the end date, it's either Wednesday uh, if you're doing a three-day fast or Friday if you're doing a five-day fast. Some of you guys have asked me, yes, are we doing a potluck for our greenhouses this week? <laughs> and we are doing a potluck, but here... Here's something, every time I've, I've done a fast, okay, it just so happens that that very weekend, there is a great party, a big party with a big feast, okay? This is a great way, honestly, it's really realistic. It's like there's never a convenient time to fast, okay? So I'm not worried about it. So, um, <laughs> so the recommended fast for this group fast, we are recommending a water-only fast, especially if you've never done it before. But I, I do want to make this fast scalable. Again, it's not about 
accomplishing something. It's more about our heart posture, right? And we're all at different stages and levels. Some people have health problems, you know, and, and so uh, please adjust as you see fit, especially if you do have health concerns uh, by adding juice or a snack or meal. Um, if you still need to add black coffee or black tea because you're working, feel free to do that. But here are the three focuses, if you could, uh, yeah, the three focuses of this fast. Number one, heart engagement, okay, versus how many days you're going for or how strict your fast is. This is one thing I want us to try and practice. And one of the lies I believed was that if I quote unquote cheated, then that would negate my fast. So, but even if you do quote unquote cheat, okay, um, just continue on with your heart engaged. Don't feel condemned, don't feel like a failure. I mean, it, if you're feeling condemned and failure, that's a sign of like, you know, weeding out from a performance religious mindset, okay? And so, focus number two, practice as exercising that muscle being led by the Spirit. Ask Holy Spirit periodically, hey, are we doing water only? Maybe you embarked on doing water only the whole time. Maybe, he'll, is, is it okay to drink a juice, okay? Or maybe you're water only and feel grace for water only the whole time, and you're fine, and you do water only the whole time. Or maybe you start off on a juice fast, but on day two, day three, you're tuning into God, and he said, hey, why don't you try a water fast, okay? So that's what we want to focus on, is just exercising that muscle, tuning into him, trying to hear his voice, be led by him, okay? Um, so getting it right isn't the objective, it's just more of the practice. And you can also use this time to practice discernment. Like, is this really a flesh desire where I'm saying, oh, it's okay for me to eat a snack, or is it really God, okay? So you get to actually practice that. Focus number three is focus on transformation, okay? Fasting, as I mentioned in our first teaching, is not supposed to be transactional, it's for our transformation is for us to see more clearly. So if you have any addictions or sin issues or pattern of lies that you can't break through or break free from, I want you to take intentional time with God. Um, let's say at least try and make 30, 30 minutes with him, okay? As, as a minimum benchmark. Just, just try to meet with God in the secret place and focus on renewing your mind. That's a place of transformation when you're in the secret place, renewing your mind with truth, okay? Um, use the fast as a catalyst and a constant reminder that you are fasting as a means to transformation. I explained this in our first teaching that I believe fasting, honestly, like, I think it's supposed to be food because when you fast food, you're constantly aware <laughs> that you're fasting. You know, your physical body, your stomach's growling, you're getting hangry, your emotions are going up and down. You're constantly aware. And, and so when you're constantly aware, you're constantly reminded, okay, I'm in a mode where I'm in a mode of transformation right now. There's things I want to get clarity on. There's things that I want to break off my life. There's new cycles and patterns, healthy ones, that I want to forge and make. And so, yes, I do believe that food is important. But uh, yeah, focus on transformation, breaking old patterns, and rewiring new and healthy ones. And again, the last thing I'll say is this, is that there is no pass or fail, okay? This is a learning exercise. So what we do in this fast, you may not do in other fasts, right? But this is kind of a you know, group activation 
where we get to practice some things, okay? I'm not saying that this is the final word on fasting. This is the, the method of what we're doing here is what you're supposed to do every time. I don't want to teach you guys a method. I want to, I want to teach you guys some principles, okay? So um, join us for the fast. I hope this was helpful for you guys. Um, why don't you guys stand up with me? I'm going to just pray for you guys, and we'll end today. Do you guys feel encouraged and excited to fast? <laughs> After all that, do you, do you feel like that gave you clarity and, and just now you know like the reasons why we fast? I mean, honestly, that, that is just really my intention. Uh, I, I don't just want to teach you something. I want to give you something that I felt like I've been given and something that has helped me along in my journey. But um, yeah, Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that whatever was released today, the teaching, um, whatever needs to stick, God, I pray that you would breathe on it. Uh, anything that was just fluff, I, I, I pray that they supernaturally forget. <laughs> but um, I just pray for grace. I, I just pray uh, that while we do this fast together, that you would be in our midst, that um, you would speak to us, that you would teach us new things, that you would give everyone in here revelation that I've never even learned from you. Just impart your secrets to them. Um, speak to them really specifically in the places where they need breakthrough, where they need a, a renewing of the mind. And um, God, I just pray that this fast wouldn't just be, you know, just such a miserable time, but actually we could find joy, we could find hope, we could find freedom in this fast. And I, I do pray for that, that we can all experience that supernatural empowerment where we can live off of food, but live off of your living word, live off of your, your presence. And so, yeah, I just bless everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.